living room in our house, on the wall above our sofa, are nine framed maps of different U.S. states uh, that my dad uh, painstakingly and meticulously uh, hung on the wall, which is actually one of his superpowers. And thank goodness for that, because the Lord knows had I tried to hang these things on the wall, what a disaster it would have been. So there are nine state maps, and, uh, and going from left to right, top to bottom, they are. Uh, and, and as I share these, uh, as a way of including some audience participation this morning, uh, if one of the states that's on our wall here is significant to you for any reason, you lived there, you went to school there, you have friends there, you've passed through there, whatever, significant for any reason, feel free to, to give a cheer out loud, okay? So I'm giving you license this morning. All right, so we've got, top left, West Virginia, Carrie Roberts, some of you, Carrie Roberts isn't here, I guess. Kentucky, Louisiana, North Dakota, Oregon, South Carolina, North Carolina, Michigan, and Montana. All right, so we had a little bit of love for some of these. That's really good, right? So we have these nine maps on our living room wall prominently displayed in front of our sofa or over our sofa. And, and one of the most common questions that we get when we entertain at our home, right? one of the most common questions that people have when they're standing around visiting in our living room is, what's the significance of these particular states that are on the wall, right? Which is a really great question, right? Unfortunately, the answer to that question is nothing. Because there is no significance whatsoever to those nine frame state maps that are so prominently displayed on our living room wall. And that's because when we were remodeling our house back in 2011, we went, we went furniture shopping with our friend who was helping us with interior design. Uh, and to be fair, uh, I say helping, but make no mistake, our friend was doing the interior design. Lynn and I were just saying yes. But while we were shopping, we came across this large art piece that was effectively a huge map, right? And we were all drawn to this art piece in the furniture store. And so I looked at the price, and of course, it was something like $6,000. So Lynn and I quickly, as you probably aren't surprised, forgot about that art piece not long after we left the store. But our interior designer, who is incredibly thrifty and great at repurposing things, did not. And uh, she found herself somewhere down the line at an antique show, and she found these state maps for 25 cents each. And when she saw them, she had the idea of replicating that piece of art that we had seen at the furniture store, right? She could get these maps for 25 cents each, get them framed at Michael's during one of their frame sales, do the whole thing for 30 bucks instead of 6,000, right? The only thing was, there were only nine maps available at all at the antique show, right? And so those are the nine that are on the wall, right? There was no choice whatsoever, right? It wasn't like we were able to pick our favorite nine out of all 50 states or pick nine that were significant to us or that we had traveled to or anything like that. As a matter of fact, to the contrary, one of the maps, Oregon, which for reasons that I won't go into right now, is not my favorite, we'll just say. 
is one of the nine, right? And without it, you don't get the symmetrical three by three by three layout, right? So, so I mean, no matter how much you don't like it, you can't leave Oregon out and have two rows of three and one row of two, right? And so for fun, we put Oregon right in the middle of the nine maps as kind of a tongue-in-cheek way of bringing uh, prominence to just how insignificant the meaning of all these maps actually are. Well, this morning we're continuing our teaching series entitled All Things New, uh, where we are looking together at the first five chapters of the Old Testament book of Joshua, where the Israelites have just left the wilderness and are now on the cusp of entering into the promised land. Last week, we looked together at the crossing and how God led his people across the Jordan River, right? And all that that story shows us about the pacing of our spiritual lives. And this morning, as we continue the story, we're going to explore the instructions that God gave to Joshua once the Israelites got to the other side. Today's message is entitled, The Karn. Now, as a former English major, I like to think that I have a pretty good vocabulary. But I have to confess that when I saw the title for this message, uh, this series, by the way, was, was developed by Esther, who totally unsurprisingly has done an amazing job with it. But when I saw the title for the message, I was like, the Karn? What's a Karn? And I had to look it up. Because, you know, one of the fundamentals of speaking, uh, right after know your audience, is know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so I had to look up this word. I looked up the Karn, and I discovered that it is a small terrier breed with short legs, a longish body, and a shagging coat. All right, that's the second definition of a carn, which has absolutely nothing to do with Joshua. But the first definition of a carn is a heap of stones piled up as a memorial or as a landmark. And that definitely does have something to do with our story this morning. And as we'll see, right, unlike those nine maps on our living room wall, this pile of stones that the Israelites would establish would have tremendous significance and meaning. If you'd like to join me in the scriptures this morning, I want to invite you to turn or tap your way to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4 is our text for this morning. Alternately, as always, you're welcome to follow along either on the screens that are behind me here in the auditorium or for those of you that are sitting outside on the screen that is out there as well. And as we pick up the action in Joshua 4 this morning, right, as a reminder, last week we saw that, that as the priests were carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan River, and the Ark, remember, was the symbol of God's presence among his people, right, as the priests stepped into the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant, which, which Esther noted last time was, was not a gentle, quiet stream at this time of year, but rather a raging torrent, as they stepped in with the ark, the water of the Jordan was cut off. And the priests continued to stand there while the whole nation crossed to the other side. Right? So that's the scene as we look now at Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. It says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, 
and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. And so we see there that before the priests exit the Jordan River, the narrative pauses for a memorial. Before the priests exit the Jordan River, the narrative pauses for a memorial. And God instructs Joshua to choose one person from each of the 12 tribes who would go back into the riverbed where the priests were holding the Ark of the Covenant and take a stone. And Joshua says in verse 6 that the stones are to serve as a sign. They're to serve as a sign, a sign that, that commemorates and evokes rich memories of past events. Joshua continues in verse 6. He says, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And so Joshua reveals there that these stones that are being collected are not random stones like those maps on our wall. Instead, when future generations of the Israelites see them, and when they ask what they mean, when future generations see the Karn and ask, what's the significance of these stones? Right? There is meaning and there is significance. Right? First and foremost, as Joshua communicates in verse 7, the stones that the tribal representatives are gathering are a memorial of the crossing. Right? The stones are a memorial of the crossing. Right? They are a way for the Israelites to remember that God cut off the flow of the Jordan River so that his people could enter into the promised land. And look again at the way that Joshua characterizes the miracle as he shares the story that these stones are to tell. Verse seven says, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And notice notice the detail of of the waters being cut off and how that bookends the story here, right? We see it both at the beginning and the end of Joshua's recounting. And and what's what's right in the center, right? What's at the core? What's, What's the Oregon here of this story right in the center of the water being cut off? The Ark of the Covenant. And that's because The Ark of the Covenant is the thing that is really the most significant because it's when the Ark of the Covenant entered the Jordan, where the presence of God entered the Jordan, that's when the waters were cut off. And so through the story that they tell, these stones are very much intended to be a reminder of the power of God's presence and of the very tangible way that he was leading his people. Joshua chapter 4, verse 8 says, so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. 
Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now, not only did the Karn serve as a reminder of the incredible story that this generation of the Israelites had just experienced, but it also powerfully connected them to the story of the generation that had come before as well. Later on in Joshua chapter 4, we read in verse 19 that on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. Right? And so we see Joshua there very explicitly connecting some dots for the people. Because there was a significant parallel between what God had just done for them and what he had done for their ancestors who were escaping from Egypt after 430 years of slavery. Right? What had God done for the, so that the, his people could escape the grasp of Pharaoh's army? Right? He dried up the waters of the Red Sea. And he had done the same thing to the Jordan River. Right? He dried up the waters so that his people could cross. And so there's definitely a sense in which these stones right, richly and powerfully connect what's happened here at the Jordan to Israel's larger story. But in addition to that sense of connection, there's also a sense of completion with these stones for what God has done as well. Because just like God parted the waters for his people to exit Egypt, he has now parted the waters for them to enter into the promised land. He parted the waters so that they could go, and he's done that again so that they could enter into the new place that he has promised them, that long-awaited promised land. And so these stones are a very tangible reminder for future generations of the story of the crossing and everything that it represents. They're a reminder of God's faithfulness, of his goodness, of his provision, of his power, of his grace, and of his presence among his people. Now, interestingly enough, God's parting of the waters is not the only common denominator between the story of the Exodus and the story of the Israelites' entry into the promised land. We also see, in the aftermath of both stories, an emphasis on remembering. We see in the aftermath of both stories an emphasis on remembering. Right? One year after their escape from Egypt, as the Israelites were in the desert of Sinai living as a free people, God instructed them to celebrate the Passover just as they had celebrated it the year prior. And so as God's people right, were on the cusp of this important transition 
from Egypt to the wilderness. God gave Moses very specific instructions that had everything to do with remembering what he had done for them the year before. Right? Remembering how he had passed over the homes of his people and spared them. Remembering how he had rescued them from the hand of Pharaoh. Remembering how, they had, how he had parted the waters of the Red Sea so that they could cross. And that, right, combined now with these instructions to Joshua, right, about setting up stones so that the Israelites would remember as they're yet again at another major transition point in their story, definitely shows us something. It shows us that God is big on remembering. Right, God is big on remembering. And I think that there is a really important word for us in that, right? As we come upon a transition, right? Into the new calendar year. Now, typically speaking, the new year is a time where we look forward. It's a time when we think about how we want things to be different than they've been. We make resolutions. We consider ways to better optimize. We set goals. We commit to new habits and new rhythms and, and new practices. Right? Speaking of new practices, over the last couple of weeks, we've been sharing about two spiritual practices to consider for the first half of this year, right? the Ignatian Adventure and reading through the New Testament. Those are the kinds of things that we typically do looking forward. Right? Sometimes at the new year, uh, we commit to letting go of some habits and rhythms and practices as a part of resetting ourselves. And all of those things are good. But this story from Joshua, I think, also reminds us uh, that the transition that comes at the beginning of a year also presents an opportunity for us to look back. Right? The transition that comes at the beginning of a new year also presents us with an opportunity to look back and to remember. And I think maybe even more specifically, an opportunity to look back and be thankful. You know, the stones that the Israelites placed at Gilgal as they entered the promised land are actually a really helpful metaphor for helping us remember as well. And so as we continue to transition into the new year, right, in the spirit of this passage this morning, I want to create some space for each one of us uh, to pause our narrative this morning, if you will, for a memorial. Some space for us to pause our narrative for a memorial. Nick's going to come and, and lead us in a song. And as he does that, I want to invite you to think this morning about the last year. Right? To think about the year that you have just completed. 2022. And as you do that, right, as you look back, what is something that you are grateful for? What is something that you are grateful for from last year as you are transitioning into the new year? What's a gift or a grace or an experience that you're grateful for. Perhaps even a person 
who you're grateful for from last year? What is a gift or a grace or an experience or even a person that you're grateful for from last year? And as you think back, you know, given the context of, of, of Israel's journey, right? Given the context of where Israel finds themselves as God invites them to place these stones at Gilgal. And all the things that they had experienced and all the things that they had learned, all the things that they suffered in the wilderness. Let me encourage you not to neglect considering the things that were difficult last year too as you think about the thing for which you're grateful. You know, sometimes it requires some extra digging. But there are tremendous gifts to be discovered in the adversities that we face. Right? Tremendous gifts to be discovered in the things that we wouldn't ordinarily choose. Because it's often in those places that we experience God's love and his faithfulness and his grace and his mercy and his deliverance and his goodness right, in some of the deepest and some of the richest ways. And so as Nick leads us in this hymn, O oh love that would not let me go, what stone would you place on your card for 2022? What stone would you place on your card for 2022? What does that stone remind you to be thankful for as you enter into this year? And may our hearts and may our souls rejoice as we remember the various ways that we have experienced the power and the presence of our God who never lets us go. Amen.